shoebox. And uh, so came time to, to do that. And the wife's friend asked her, said, did you put that money of that stingy old man in the coffin? And she said, I sure did. She said, I can't believe you did that. He said, she said, why did you do he, She said, well, actually what I did, I deposited all the money in my account and I wrote him a check. <laughs> Come on, we need wisdom, right? <laughs> in times like these, we need wisdom. So it's important to know, I, I want to stay on good terms with my wife because what she said it the other day, and I guess I've said it so much, she said, what's mine is mine and what's his is mine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, amen, amen. It's good to see Lawton and Marsha's back with us, and we're, we're grateful for that family uh, being with us today. So I want to talk from just a little bit from the passage, I believe that we're at a crossroads. In America, not just in America, but I believe in the, in the body of Christ, we're in a place we've never been before. But you understand, I believe we should be excited about this moment in the history of humanity. Look with me for, for, uh, over to Jeremiah first, chapter 6, verse 16. I'm going to read this from the New English Translation. And uh, it talks about the old paths and, je- and, and the people of God are really in, they're kind of in rebellion. They're, they're not listening. They're not following God's blueprint. And this is what the Lord said to his people in verse 16. You're standing at the crossroads. Con- so consider your path. Ask where the old, reliable paths are. Ask where the path is that leads to blessing and follow it. If you do, you will find rest for your souls. And then over and over, of course, he said, they said, we will not follow. That's rebellion. But you understand the implications. He said, you're standing at the crossroads. So consider your path. Ask where the old, reliable paths are. Those are the ancient path, also mentioned in Deuteronomy 32.6. But when you look at the definition of that word paths, when you find the, the word paths or old, it comes from a very important word. It, it's olam which means vanishing point. This is so good. It, it talks of generally time out of mind. It, it represents long duration, antiquity, forever, everlasting, as for the old Omar past, Olam past. So when you think about what that means, standing at the crossroads, it's important to know that when you're standing at the crossroads, the Lord has given them, look around, he said, look around, because there's more than one road. But he said, you need to choose the old path, the the one that leads you to blessing. Now, when you think about that and you think about the season we're in, I want to talk about the first and the last. But first I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 15, verse 45. We're going we're gonna to go over a few scriptures because I believe that we're uh, in, in, at those crossroads. And I want to tell you that we're living in a time when the Lord is, is really unraveling some things in my life that, I've, that, that really were so, it was almost like, Lord, this is not working. Have you ever tried something, even in church and, and as a Christian, you ever tried something and it just didn't seem to work? It seemed like it was just futile. And last, with this past Wednesday night, we talked about uh, how that Abraham received the, the idea from Sarah to take Hagar because he's about 86 years old. 
and she's an old she's she's old now and so they're going to help God out. Yeah. And we know Ishmael was born. So Ishmael's probably 13 years old by the time 13 or 14 by the time Isaac is born. Ishmael is born he's the natural son born of the slave woman. He represents self-effort. And Hagar represents the law. And I can show you where Paul uses that, uh, that relative term over in the book of Galatians. And uh, when it came time to wean Isaac, we know that, that uh, Ishmael is mocking Isaac. And Sarah, mama, she's not having that. And she told Abraham, said, I want you to dismiss the slave woman and her son. Well, he was a little upset because it was his son too. Ishmael was his son. So, so the, the cool part is God spoke to Abraham and said, go ahead and do what your wife is saying do because he can't be your heir. He can't be the heir of all that you've been promised. So you've got to dismiss these two. And I won't get into the details, but you understand that Abraham came to a crossroads. It was a moment where he could obey God or he could hold on to what he thought he wanted. And, and, and so in that moment, God speaks and Abraham dismisses Hagar and Ishmael. And over in the New Testament, Paul said, this uh, Hagar represents the law, Mount Sinai. Remember, Moses came to deliver the law. And Ishmael represents self-effort. Yes. And he said, and you understand, Paul is saying to the Galatians, said, if you think you've got to do some, something to, to earn your salvation, you've you're missed it. You've cut yourself off from the blessings and to be Galatians, the, the people at the church of Galatia were at a crossroads. They were in a moment where they could choose to go back into the slavery of the law or they could follow uh, Jesus and find grace. Yeah. Now I want to tell you that it says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45, Paul said, for it is written, the first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became the life-giving spirit. Now, he didn't say the second Adam. He said the last Adam. That's significant. He said, however, the spiritual didn't come first. The natural precedes the spiritual. The first man was from the dust of the earth. The second man is Yahweh from the realm of heaven. The first one made from dust has a race of people just like him. How many ever heard that we're part of the Adamic race? Yeah. I'm going to help you today. Because I, I used to believe that too. It says that the second man is Yahweh from the realm of heaven. Uh, the, the, the first one made from dust, Adam, has a race of people just like him who are also made from dust. The one sent from heaven has a race of heavenly people who are just like him. Now he's talking about Jesus. He says, once we carried the likeness of the man of dust, but now let us carry the likeness of the man of heaven. Yes. Now I'll tell you this, my brothers and sisters, flesh and blood are not able to inherit God's kingdom realm. And neither will that which is decaying be able to inherit what is incorruptible. Listen, I'll tell you a divine mystery. Not all of us will die, but we'll be transformed. Now that word transformed is very important. Now let's look for just a moment to Romans chapter 6. Hang with me, we're at the crossroads. But God's doing something in our lives that's relative to not so much what we do. I used to live in the point, I would go to church and I would say, I just need to find out what God wants me to do. And it was, it was more about doing and trying to do something to please God. To try to even think that I could find my purpose in doing. 
But I discovered something. That that crossroads to choose the doing and to thinking that I was saved just so future I could go to heaven if I die. And it's, but, but there's much more, it's so much more than that. Because in the meantime, what do we do? In the meantime, till that time comes, what do we do? We don't do anything. It's more about who you become. And the Lord's interested in who you're becoming because who you're becoming, uh, it represents your destiny, but it also represents uh, the fact that what Paul said in the book of Ephesians, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. He said, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now you can't understand the good works till you know who you created in. You got to take first things first, right? So he says, over in Corinthians, he said, the, the first Adam was made from dust. The last Adam, now you understand the last one means the last one. He's the last, he came, I want to tell you this. Jesus came to end the Adamic race. And bring about a new birth of people, a new species of being. If, if you are a believer and the Holy Ghost lives in you, you have become a new species of being that has never before existed. Amen. And that's all because of Jesus. Come on, that's not something that brings us pride or arrogance. It really humbles us to the fact of the truth because the truth is what makes you free. How many know that we have been busy with the familiar, and we've forgotten about how we look at the fruit. Okay. Okay. We're comfortable in the familiar because it's familiar, but I can tell you from a personal standpoint at that crossroads that I struggled most of my life, and I was really comfortable in the familiar. But it didn't really produce any lasting fruit. I'm going to help you. It really didn't produce anything that was, was noticeable and it was really, really frustrating because I believe the Lord has brought us to the crossroads where we got to realize that in your identity and who he created you to be, there is a fruitfulness and people, you know, I used to pray and ask you, Lord, I don't know if I want to ask you for patience or not. And, and I would talk about the fruit of the spirit, but you understand if you're a child of God and the Holy Ghost lives in you, you already have the capacity to bear all of that fruit. You don't have to ask him to give you anything because Peter said it like this in second Peter. He said, we've been made partakers of the divine nature so that we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness now if he's already given it to us why are we asking for it come on we got to surrender to it we got to come to the place where we become something before we can do something Romans 6 so what do we do passion then Paul said, do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? You better be careful, pastor. That grace will give people a license to sin. No, it won't. Because a person who claims to have grace and continues in sin, it's really not grace at all. Because if real grace comes into our life, you won't have the heart to follow that path. If real grace comes into your life, and Jesus said, I'm the, I'm, the Bible said that he came full of grace, full of grace, full of glory and grace. Jesus came and as he came to show us what the Father's like. So if Jesus came, John 17, to represent the Father, he said, the words that I speak to you, they're not what I'm thinking of. That's what I've heard my Father say. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The works that I do are the works I've seen my father do. So if, if Jesus came to represent the father, I believe that we are here to represent Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Where is 
We're as he rep, as he represented the Father. We're here to represent Jesus. And when you represent Jesus, you you have a different perspective. Because what used to affect you don't affect you the same way. Dead men don't wear plaid and they don't have plans. Come on. A dead man, it don't matter what you do to him, he's not going to respond. Come on, somebody. Hang with me. We're going somewhere. What a terrible thought, Paul said. We've died to sin. Talking about dead people. Once and for all, as a dead man passes away from this life, so how could we longer, any longer live under sin's rule? A moment longer. Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, I love that. We're in union with Jesus. It's about union. It's about becoming one. The glory of becoming one. When, when I shared with you the passage in Isaiah 40, 31 that says, uh, they that wait upon the Lord, that word wait doesn't mean wait at all. It means to braid together. It means that you become so braided with the Father's heart and His perspective and His will that you can't hardly distinguish be- between the one and the other. Come on, you understand something. Let me take you to Acts 3. Don't turn there for the sake of time. Peter and John are on their way to the temple at the, at the hour of prayer, and they meet a, a man who's lame. And the Bible says that uh, Peter looked at him. He's asking for alms, but he didn't know he's about to get legs. And come on, somebody. Uh, he, he looked at him, and he said, I don't have what you want, but I surely got what you need. He said, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I have, I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up in a walk and the Bible said his feet and ankle bones received strength and he rose up and went walking and leaping and praising God and all they that were in the temple began to see this man and they were they were drawn like a magnets to metal and you understand that 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 when they stood there that this infuriated the religious people so they drug Peter and John You know, they're the two most unlikely people to be together. John's the the beloved. He's the one who's always closest to Jesus, listening, hanging on every word. He's the one that Peter said, ask him who it is at the Last Supper that's going to betray him. Ask him. John is the one who called himself the the disciple that Jesus loved. Peter and John. Peter, remember Peter. He's, he's full of vinegar. Tabasco sauce. He cuts off Mal, Malchus's ear and Jesus heals it. And you understand that, that Peter's all about, uh, he, he, he said, you know, there's so many things in there about Peter that's so good. But Peter, imagine Peter and John together. Loudmouth preacher and little old quiet John. They're together. That's what the Holy Ghost does. He brings us into one. The glory of the Father is to make us into one. The Bible says they pulled him before the same people that crucified Jesus. And Peter said, if we be examined this day, For the good deed done to that lame man, then be it known to you, the same Jesus that you crucified. The same one you you put on the cross and buried, that we buried in the tomb that rose again the third day. By his name, this man stands before you completely whole. And the Bible said that they knew that they were ignorant and unlearned. Now that's not a demeaning term. It means they just didn't know the Torah. They were not versed in the Torah. But the Bible said they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. 
Come on, you understand that's, uh, that, that's what's going to transform our lives when we begin to stop looking around and, and begin to look and go down that path that's, that, that Jeremiah said would be the path of blessing that we fix our gaze uh, not on what's going on in the world because you can really get depressed and you can get anxiety if you, if you begin to study all that's going, around, going on in the world. Let, let me tell you, last week, okay. last week, I went to pick up my wife's medicine at CVS. And I drove up. I noticed the line. There was no line. And I got to the window and she came and propped on her elbows. And she said, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to do anything for you today. That's a mouthful right there. She said, right. She said, our system went down. Come back in a little while later. Then I went to Walmart to pick up groceries. We do the pickup. I don't like shopping. <laughs> so we do the pickup, and I drove six miles to Walmart from where we live and drove up, and a young lady came out. I'm just smiling at her, and she looks at me. She said, I'm about to turn that smile upside down. Uh -oh. I said, you can't do that. She said, our system, a log truck hit the power lines and knocked the power out. And I said, but don't you have a sticker with my wife's name on it? She said, we still can't give it to you. Oh. I said, I'm still smiling. <laughs> because you, you understand that if we believe Romans, I'm about to get happy now. Romans 8. 28, that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to the called according to his purpose. You won't become anxious or been out of shape when things don't go the way you think they ought to. So I just told her, I said, I'll be back. And I drove home and, and when I came back, there's two girls. I mean, the parking lot is full. Their power, I called, I, they said, yeah, we got it. We just opened the doors. By the time I got there, the, every, almost every slot was filled with people picking up their groceries. Yeah. And two young ladies, I can still see their face, came up to me and when they brought the groceries out, they began to unload them and I could hear their conversation. One of them said, boy, this is going to be a long day. I said... I said, you guys are awesome. You're doing a great job. She said, some people are really mad. I said, what does that change? Except their own. <laughs> it can give you all kind of health problems. <laughs> and they're unloading the groceries. And, and, and I said, when they finished, I, I had to get out and I walked back there where they were because I could tell they were, stre they were talking about how stressed out they were. And, and they, said, uh, they said, tomorrow we might not even show up. I, I got out. They're talking to themselves, to one another. And I walked around there and I said, I need to tell you two things, young ladies. I said, number one, God is good Amen. and you are his beloved. Yeah. And one of them looked at me and it was like... She stopped and looked at me as if to say, that's the best thing I've heard all day. Amen. And you understand that we have, if all things work together, I'm going to take you there in a moment and show you the passion translation because it said all things work together for good yes. to them that love the Lord to the called according to verse. Then he says, uh, he said, or have you forgotten that all of us, verse three in, in Romans six, we were immersed into union with Jesus. Now, if I'm in union with Jesus, what business do I have getting all bent out of shape because I didn't get the medicine when I went to pick it up or the groceries when I went to pick it up and, and the system, I think we're depending too much. What do they call it? AI? Artificial intelligence. Yeah, we're, we're dependent too much on it. But you understand, you can't let that control you. I'm not going to let it take away my joy. 
Because it's not mine anyway. It came from Jesus. Same joy he had. The peace. I can't give up my peace because that peace came from him too. So he said this. He said, look, look. If we're immersed in union with him, sharing in his death. By our baptism means that we were co-buried with him. So that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of a new life. Here it is right here. I didn't, get just, I didn't get saved so that I could just escape eternal judgment and punishment. I didn't get saved just so I could go to heaven. I got saved because he wanted to bring me into the circle. He wanted to bring me into that. He wants to bring us into that place of fellowship and relationship so that we begin to fix our gaze on the one that can transform our lives and show us what the blueprint looks like so that we can become uh, so people of purpose. And I can tell you what our purpose is. Our purpose is to be loved by the Heavenly Father who is perfect love. Our purpose is is to share in that union with Him, Father, Son, and Spirit so that we walk and we're never alone because you never have to call Him to come. He said, I'm with you even into the end. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And guess what? I never change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. You may live in a world that's constantly changing because temporary means subject to change but I need you to know that my love never changes my power never changes I'm not shaken by what man is doing but I want man to be shaken by what I'm doing and you understand when you fix your gaze on him it'll change your whole perspective you can walk through the fire and not be burned you can walk through the river and it won't overflow you you don't have to worry about the flood because it's not going to take you down because if he's for you tell me who can be against you because he will keep you. Come on, somebody. Give him a praise. Verse six. Verse five says we're permanently grafted into him. Could it be any clearer that our former identity, there it is, is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us. No, I don't have the Adamic nature. I have a new nature. It's a divine nature. Come on, you understand that messes with religion. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He says... So that we no longer continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. Don't wear plaid and don't have plans. And if we're co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we also share in the fullness of his life. We know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and his power over him is finished by his sacrifice. He died to sin's power once and for all, but he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. If Jesus lives for the Father's pleasure, you and I live with the same purpose. I wake up in the morning, I say, Lord, let my living be a blessing. Let my my living be a blessing to you. Because I know if my living will bless you, it's going to bless somebody else. So he says... By, he, he said, we know that since the anointed one's been raised, his life, resurrection life has vanished, vanquished death and its power over him is finished for by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. Do you understand that once and for all? When he died to sin, uh, when he died, he became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. So when he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. But guess what? When he ascended, Ephesians chapter yeah. number two, verse six, we, 
It's, it's kind of mystical, isn't it? But he said, it's all what he said. We have been made to sit together with him in heavenly places. Now watch. So let it be the same with you. What? To be the Father's pleasure. Since you're now joined with Him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the Anointed One. Sin is a, de- is a dethroned monarch. So you must no longer give an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. Hang with me. Let's go to Romans 8, 28. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I told you you were going to be glad you sat by me. (laughs) (laughs) You know what you call... Something blue with feathers all over it. Something blue with feathers all over it. A turkey holding its breath. (laughs) That's a bad joke, okay. It's okay if you don't laugh. (laughs) Brother Allen told me, what was it yesterday? He said, I hope that one's better than the last one you told. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Like the one-armed snowman, right? Not playing fetch with that dog again. <laughs> so here we go. Here we go. Excuse me. Got a little sidetrack. Verse 28. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good. Could it be that all of your struggles and all of the stuff you've been through was God is using to prepare to bring you into that beloved identity, to, to bring you into that pl- place where the things that used to really rattle you don't have any say-so in your life anymore and they can't control you because you've discovered who you are in Him, that you are more than a conqueror according to the Scripture that He always causes us to triumph. If you look up the definition of that, it means that He always causes us to celebrate the victory before we ever face the battle. Come on, who ever heard of throwing a party? But while you're facing a battle, you go ahead and celebrate anyway because the Jesus already won that fight for you and you can just stand in victory and declare I'm a winner I've read the back of the book and I know how this turns out I am in Christ so we're convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good for we're his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose for when he knew all about us before we were born. Do you know that the human heart, they discovered in 1991, scientists discovered has 40,000 cells that are neurocells, the same kind of cells that are in your brain, in your heart. Brings a whole new dynamic. To let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Let this heart be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your heart. Come on. (laughs) Out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. How can you get words from your heart? God already knew it before the scientists ever discovered the neurocells. It's amazing. So hang with me. From the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest. Paul calls him the, remember, the last Adam. Jesus, the last Adam, but he's also first, the firstborn. 
The firstborn of who? The new human race. Ooh, I felt that like a wave. Of those who live with the discernment to understand that we're called to be the foss. If Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then he said, and John, this in Matthew, he said, and John, you are the light of the world. That word light is foss. He also said, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we become luminescent. When that little lady was familiar with taking the smile off of faces when she said, I can't get your groceries now. She didn't know what she was looking, who she was looking at when she looked at me. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Because what you see on the outside is not what you get. What's on the inside? We are eternal beings. What's on the inside is the real you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let me go on. I know it's 12.05 if you're taking medicine, so. (laughs) He said... This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. So we're not so much born to do. We're born to become. He said, having determined our destiny ahead of time. He called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. John 17. Oh yeah, we got to go there just for a second. Are you good? You you okay? It's a... I mean, it's easy for me to say that because lunch has already been provided. (laughs) I love you dearly. I just got to go here just just to put the icing on the cake. Let's see. Verse 13, John 17, verse 13. Remember John 3, he said eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing your Son. Verse 13, but now I'm returning to you. So Father, I pray that, you, that they will experience and enter into my joyous delight in you. So that it's fulfilled in them and overflows. So... Verse 17, your word is truth, so make them holy by the truth. What is the truth? It's knowing Jesus, who is the truth, and becoming like him. Holy means to be one of a kind. It means to be conspicuous. Not because you chose to be. It's because you can't help yourself. (laughs) Just look at your neighbor and tell them your sight. (laughs) Some some said that with great enthusiasm. Verse 18, I've commissioned them to represent me just as you commissioned me to represent you. Then he says, Verse 21, I pray for them all to be joined together as one. And even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one, I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given them. He said, so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. Union, unity, 
You live fully in me and now I live fully in them. So that they'll experience perfect unity. And the world will be convinced that you've sent me for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. When you get to the place where that becomes the reality. That the Father, only God can do this, right? He loves you the same way He loves His Son. That will transform your life. He's God and He's changed. Stand with me. He never changes. He is faithful. So the crossroads. The Olam path. We're convinced that everything is woven together into our lives. Because we were created to become, if he's the firstborn son, we are, that means there's going to be more to follow. The firstborn, if, if you got, if there's a first, there's going to be some more. If you last, there ain't going to be no more. So he was the last Adam who ended the Adamic race. And all the consequences. So I'm going to live life to the full. It's going to be an amazing adventure. It's going to be amazing. So here's what I want to pray for you. I pray that the Lord would bring such a peace and a rest. Jeremiah talked about the rest. You're going to find rest for your soul when? When you choose the right olam. Path. And what happens when you choose that path? I see it all over you, girl. There's such a, 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 a transformation. And I'm not just picking on you, but I'm telling you it's obvious. Because you've kind of reached that vanishing point where your friends. The Lindsay they remember, they don't see her anymore. They see him more than anything else. I'll tell you this quick story. Many of you have heard it. Some have not. My dad and I ran the upholstery shop. I remember back in the 90s, I was a bivocational pastor and people would come in for counseling and and, and mom would play the gospel station. And, and we had this guy from Atlanta named Thomas who was very frail and he was really thin, but he could do furniture. Dad would not do furniture. He just wouldn't do it because it's too t- time consuming. But he hired Thomas just to, to do the furniture. Thomas was, in, he was good at doing furniture. So one day, Thomas, after being with us for a few months, uh, we saw him. He'd sit over at, at the sewing machine. He'd just be in a blank stare. But before that happened, one day he went into mom's office. And, and I'm standing there. Me and dad's working on a 1968 Corvette convertible. It's white with green interior. I'll never forget it. Mom comes out with Thomas and Thomas is in his 50s and she said, son, I believe Thomas wants to talk to you and big old tears is rolling down his face. I said, come here, Thomas, tell me what's going on. He said, I can't explain it. He said, when I hear the the music and I hear y'all talking about Jesus, something's happening. I said, it's okay, Thomas, you're being drawn into that circle. Would you like to pray? He said, oh yeah. So we knelt down beside that old 1968 Corvette together. I'll never forget as I 
led him in a prayer. Now, let me tell you, this is not a formula. But he was, I believe he was already there because of his heart. But I remember the, the concrete just being wet with, with Thomas's tears. So after some time, Thomas began to go into that blank stare. And one day, he kind of disappeared walking down the road and we never saw him again. And his son came in, might have been two or three weeks later, and said, I just want to let you guys know they f- we found my dad in the backyard. He might not have told you that he had brain cancer. And we found him dead in the backyard. At that moment, I saw my father, my heavenly father, I saw my Savior bringing a man all the way from Atlanta to a little old block building called Clanton Upholstery Shop. Just so he could be exposed to the one who lived in us. I want to tell you who cares about you. He is so in love with you. I think I'll see Thomas again. It's going to be different the next time I see him. Because here's what happened. The next day, I took Thomas home that afternoon. I dropped him off close to where he lived. And he, when he came into work the next day, I said, how was it, Thomas? He said, it's amazing. I felt like the weight of the world had been lifted off my shoulders. And he said, I'd run into people on the street and I didn't have to say a word. They'd look at me and say, what happened to you? You just look different. So I told him. Let me tell you. He comes into our darkness. Into our moments of confusion. He comes into those moments when we think he's a million miles away. Most of the time, that's when he's closest. Because he wants us to come into the revelation, the metanoia. Do you know, 1054, the Pope had the West and the East church separated. He divided them up. And, and they, they used the word Repentance. I might don't don't give me any hate mail if you but the word repentance is not the original word that was in the scripture. It's a Latin word. It's not even Greek. It's a Latin word that means to do penance over and over. That's not what's supposed to be there. Metanoia. Oh yeah, I believe that that metanoia, that radical change in the way you think, because I had not seen, ear had not heard, neither has it entered of the heart of man where the Lord's have prepared for those that love Him. But the Spirit has revealed it to us. I don't believe that just talking about heaven. I believe that it's the moment, that, and it produces going the other way. It produces being free from sin's bondage. It produces, this is real grace. So I want to tell you that wherever you are today, wherever you're exactly, God knew you would be there. He's not waiting for you. I had a man tell me Saturday, at the, that's awesome, the men's breakfast. He told me Saturday, he said, he, he's 69, he's a little older than me. So he said, he said, Pastor Wayne, he waited on me. He waited for me. I said, yeah, I said, that's him. I said, he'll wait for you. While you're going through your challenge and your change, he'll wait for you. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to choose the right path, the Olam path. I want to be all that he created me to be. And I want the Holy Spirit to teach me 
what that's supposed to be, would you pray for me? Slip up your hand right there where you are. Yes, yes, he sees that. So we're going to pray. I'm telling you, there's healing in this. There's wholeness. There's a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I give you glory. I thank you so much for the deep love and compassion, the mercy, the grace. Thank you, Lord, for the rest. Thank you, Lord, for the wholeness and the healing. Thank you, Lord, for this new covenant. It's not a contractual agreement that we have to do a certain thing so you'll do a certain thing. But Lord, you brought us into covenant, meaning that you've given yourself totally to us. Now, Lord, we want to give ourselves totally to you. And we pray, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would lead us into the, into the liberty that you paid for, the liberty that you came to give us. But Lord, most of all, help us to enter into that place of perfect love so that we realize we've received perfect righteousness and we stand before you justified and not guilty because of Jesus' completed works. And I give you glory and I give you praise. I pray that you'll help us to experience the freedom from the trappings that's tried to hold on to us. Lord, that we become dead men living an eternal life. Uh, Lord, dead to the past, dead to the sins, dead to the temptation, dead to the things, Lord, that you should control us and alive to God forevermore. We praise you and bless you because you do all things well in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.